Um, to get the message started today, I need a volunteer from the audience who is a lifelong baseball fan. All right? Lifelong baseball Somebody's got to be a lifelong baseball fan. Dick, you would be great. Yeah, your wife just volunteered you. Are you a baseball fan? Come on up. Give it up, Dick Whitman. This is Dick Whitman. Up here, yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to make any short jokes, so. Everybody can look up to you. Here you go. I don't have the sermon notes with me. You don't have the sermon notes. That's okay. This is unrehearsed, obviously, calling for a, a person from the crowd. Here's what I want to know. What can you tell me about Ty Cobb? Nothing. <laughs> nothing? Nothing? You got nothing. Got nothing. Anybody want to help him? He's a baseball player. Oh, Ty Cobb. Yeah, what I say? Very well, sorry. Oh, Ty so, Cobb. Ty Cobb, yes. Okay, I know who that is. What can you tell me about him? Um, great baseball player, great hitter, slid in the base with his heels, cleats up. Okay. Yeah, all time great. All time, one of the all time, he's in the Hall yes, of Fame. That's, yes. that's the plaque on the left. Um, lots and lots of records. What else do you know about him? Anything about, about what kind of man he was or anything? I do not. Okay, that's, that, that's good. Got anything else? All right. <laughs> Give it up for Dick. <laughs> you know there are times when you try stuff. He's my friend, so uh, I, I appreciate it. Um, anybody, anybody, what do you know about Ty Cobb? Anything, anybody else? He played for Detroit, yep. He was known not to be nice, absolutely. He had, he had a really bad reputation. I asked, um, I asked my wife that question, this is actually several months ago, and she said, he was a really bad guy, wasn't he? And I said, well... Maybe. Uh, you know, uh, anybody see the movie Field of Dreams? Ty Cobb is mentioned in Field of Dreams. All those baseball greats come and they say, oh, nobody likes Cobb. He didn't get invited. Anybody see the movie with, with uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Cobb, uh, from about uh, 10 years ago or so? Um, it, was a, it was a crazy movie. Um, here's the deal. If you begin to talk about the life of Ty Cobb, there is this there's this bigger story about what kind of guy he was, that he, that he was this dirty player, that he, um, that he was mean to people, that he killed three people, that uh, he was a racist, all kinds of stuff about Cobb. And what's interesting is most all of that information stems from a biography that was done in 1961, just before Cobb's death, written by a guy named Al Stump. Al Stump was a writer that wrote for a bunch of magazines. He went to go do a, 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 a ghost autobiography of Ty Cobb and, um, and wrote it. And before Cobb died, he sued to have that, the publication of that autobiography stopped because he didn't think that it was true. It, it had a lot of stuff in, in there that wasn't true. Uh, fast forward, last year, a book was written uh, called 
Ty Cobb, The a Terrible Beauty by a guy named Learson, uh, who is a former editor of Sports Illustrated, a senior writer at Newsweek. And, and what Learson did was when he went to Simon & Schuster and said, I want to write this story about Ty Cobb, um, he said, what I, what I thought I'd do is that I would just go back and, and um, kind of drum up the same stories, find a new story or two, and just kind of give a, a, a 50 year later perspective on Cobb's life. And what Learson said was within two hours of when he started to do research, he discovered that the reputation of Ty Cobb is inaccurate completely and that most of it stems to this book by Stump in 61. That as he began to to read about the contemporaries of Cobb, people who knew him, who interacted with him, um, all of the stuff, all of the stuff that said he was a really bad guy and a mean guy and a dirty player wasn't true at all. He did slide, slide hard. He slid with his feet up. But he wasn't a dirty player. Um, so you come to a place and you say, well, wait a second. These movies say this. This book by Stump says this. Learson says something completely different. How do you discern what's real and what's not. How do you tell who's telling the truth? Both of them are supposed to be experts, right? How do you know? Here's the kick for me. How do you know what's true spiritually? In the religious world, how do you know who to trust? Who's telling the truth about God? Muslim imams say one thing. Jewish rabbis say something else. The Pope says one thing. Christian preachers and teachers say something else. The Latter-day Saints elders in Utah say one thing. The Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Seventh-day Adventists and Charismatic and Pentecostals all say different stuff. How do you know what and who to trust? The Christians at the end of the first century had the exact same questions. Paul had traveled around all of Asia. He had planted all kinds of churches. He had introduced people to Jesus, and they had become followers of him. But Paul had died probably as a martyr. Peter had been the spokesman for the apostles, and and he had taught, he had written letters about what it meant to follow Jesus. But Peter had died probably as a martyr. As a matter of fact, all of the apostles had died probably as martyrs, and John's the only one left. In their place had grown up all of this new generation of teachers that were teaching things that sounded kind of right, but seemed different, and and followers of Jesus weren't sure what to do with that. They kind of made sense, but they didn't quite match what, what Peter had said, what Paul had said, what the apostles had said. How do you know what and who to trust? John, in his old age, writes to the Christians, this, in this letter, with the desire to answer that very question. If you've got your Bibles, take them out, turn to 1 John chapter 4. If you've got a, a smartphone, uh, go to the North Point app, and there'll, there'll be an outline for the message there, some blanks that you can fill in as well, um, some things to think about that, that are a part of that. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one out of the back of the pew in front of you and go to 1 John chapter 4 towards the back of the Bible. This question, how do you know what and who to trust, John addresses in the fourth chapter. He says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. 
For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They're from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Before we jump into the heart of that question, how we can know who's, uh, where, where truth is, there's, there's an important foundational principle that you've got to get a hold of for this to make sense. It's this. The spirit world is real. The spirit world is real. All you have to do is look at, um, at IMBD, look at a, a bunch of movies, and there you'll find movies all over the place about supernatural, paranormal stuff. There, there, some movies are even described as classics that talk about the spirit world, The Exorcist, The Shining, Blair Witch Project, those kinds of movies. There are movies being released all the time that deal with angels, demons, and the spirit world. Everywhere you go, you can find fortune readers, tar- fortune tellers, tar- tarot card readers, people who can help talk to the dead. And yet we think, Uh, I don't know if that's real or not. Ray Stedman wrote this about this passage, and it's kind of an extended passage, but just kind of listen to what he says. He said, We moderns are in much greater danger than the ancients, for in the world of John and Paul's day, there was a widespread recognition of the existence of invisible spirits, the invisible realities behind the scenes of life. The ancient world recognized these as gods and goddesses and bowed down to them. Though they seriously misunderstood and twisted these realities, making them into mythological and legendary figures, nevertheless, there was a widespread recognition that man does not exist in the universe by himself. There are superior beings who influence the thinking and attitudes of men everywhere. This kind of teaching was therefore much easier to accept in the first century than it is in our day. In our century, we pride ourselves upon the fact that we have grown beyond this. We have come of age. Man is often intellectually unable to accept this kind of thing today. As a result, we expose ourselves without any defense at all to the control of these evil spirits. But if we're going to follow the words of Jesus Christ, we must accept his explanation of the power behind evil in the world. He makes clear that it comes from a host of evil spirits. Paul says also, we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the power, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Part of the blindness of our generation is a direct result of man in his arrogance saying, I reject the whole concept of evil spirits and demons. It's intellectually unacceptable to me. The blindness of that attitude precludes any defense against evil. Understand this. If this morning, if you say that spirit world doesn't exist, 
you dismiss the truth of Scripture. In the Old Testament, in, in 1 Samuel 28, there's an encounter that's described there of Saul with, uh, with a woman who's described as the witch of Endor, who's a fortune teller, who, who enables Saul to talk with Samuel after he's died. In 2 Kings 6, Elisha prays to God that his servants' eyes would be open because they're ready to be destroyed, they think, by this army. And as Elisha prays and God opens the servant's eyes, he can see this host of angels that are there to protect them and to support them. When John said, test the spirits, he was talking about people, but he was also talking about the spirit world as well. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. There is this world that we can't see that's very real. The powers of Satan and the powers of God in conflict over our condition, over our spiritual welfare. Don't miss that because when Paul says test the spirits, he's talking about people, but he's also talking about all of the stuff that's going around us. It's important to know that we can know who's from God and we can know who's not from God in the world around us. We have the ability, God has given us the ability through the power of his spirit to know who's from God and who's not from God. In verse 6, um, John said, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John could only say that if that was true. We can know the spirit of truth, the spirit of error, as, as God's spirit leads us. Um, I'm an old guy. Some of you are old guys as well. Do you remember the TV show Hogan's Heroes? Um, I, I loved Hogan's Heroes. You know, Sergeant Schultz was the best. Uh, there's, there's this one episode in Hogan's Heroes that as I was working on the message, I thought, oh, that's a great description of, of this issue of how do you tell, how do you tell who's good and bad? How do you go through that? This, this episode of Hogan's Heroes, if you remember, was um, the, the Germans, I think probably General Borkholder, uh, uh, knew something was going crazy in Stalag 13. And so they took this German spy and, and put him in as a POW in Stalag 13. So he becomes a part of Hogan's men. He's there. His English is perfect. He's got this great backstory. But Hogan's guys aren't really sure that this guy is a legitimate American POW. And, um, and so they set up to create this test to determine, is this guy good or evil? Anybody remember that episode? They, they, they create this fire in the barracks, right, in the middle of the night, and this guy's asleep. Uh, they, they put a fire right beside him, and they, and they shout out in German, run to the door, the building's on fire. Guy jumps out of bed, runs to the door, building's not on fire, but they know that his native language is German and that he is indeed a German spy. In a world that's crazy um, in, in terms of the conflict that's going on with lots of voices that sometimes we're not sure which ends up, 
we can know the voice of God. We can know the push of Satan. We can recognize their voices. We can know who's from God, who's not from God. How, how do we do that? How can we know who's from God and who's not from God? John says, test the spirits. How do teachers know if their students have mastered the, the, um, the knowledge that they've been teaching, their material? They give them a test. How does a new driver get a license? They take a test. How does a military officer get promoted? Among other things, they take a test. We can know by testing the spirits. John says, okay, you know, as you test spirits, you've got to understand that there are false teachers, false prophets. In his second letter, in John's second letter, in verse 7, he says this, 2 John 7 through 9, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Many deceivers have gone out in the world. False prophets are there. John wasn't alone in that. Peter, in his letter, in his second letter, said this, 2 Peter chapter 2, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will, will be blasphemed. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, said, teach and urge these things, chapter 6, verse 2. If anyone teaches a doctrine different and does not agree with the, words, with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagine, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Do you understand that, that the first century leaders, the apostles, Scripture, God through Scripture tells us there are false teachers all around us, and we've got to be careful to recognize what's false and what's true. We've got to test the spirits. So, here's the big question. What's the test? The, the, the question is, what do they think about Jesus? What do they think about Jesus? Because everything in Scripture is about Jesus. Old Testament points to Jesus. From the time that sin entered the garden, God made a plan for Jesus to come to make our relationship with him right again. It's all about Jesus. Last summer, um, we had a, a North Point 101. It's a class that we do that takes several weeks um, that, uh, that we answer all kinds of questions, kind of talk about history, where we've been, that kind of thing. And um, there was a couple in the class in North Point 101 last summer that, that in the midst of one of the classes, they said, Chris came back and told me, this is what they said. You guys talk a lot about Jesus at North Point. And I'm going, yeah, that's, that's the issue. It's all about Jesus. It's not about any of the other stuff. It's about Jesus. Everything hinges on Jesus. John says, 
Here's the question to ask. Do the teachers acknowledge and confess that Jesus came in the flesh, that he was fully man and fully God? In the context of that first century, we talked uh, in the first week of this series, In the Light, we talked about the Gnostics, these guys who had, who had said, uh, basically, they, they had created this other system that said Jesus wasn't really um, divine, that when he was born, he was just a guy. Once he was baptized, the divinity of God came on him, but it left him before he was crucified because God couldn't really be crucified and, and, went through, and go through that. The Gnostics were there. John's addressing that in particular right here. Did Jesus come in the flesh? flesh was he fully human and fully God? at the same time? And the answer to that's yes. Listen again to what he says. Uh, Beloved, don't, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. It's the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. John says, there's only one thing that matters, whether Jesus came in the flesh, whether Jesus was who he said he is. If you want to test a teacher, a religious teacher, or a denomination, or a speaker on TV, and try and figure out whether they're from God or not, ask the question, what do they think about Jesus? How do they see Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? Do they just give lip service to Jesus? Or is Jesus the heart of their message? Do they believe that Jesus came to earth as God in the flesh, that he was a man just like us with skin and bones, flesh and blood? Why does that matter? Why is that question so pivotal? It's because God has said, only by the shedding of blood can sins be forgiven. Because God said only a perfect sacrifice could atone for our sin. Because the only way to conquer death was to die. And God couldn't die except to take on human form and do that. It is the question that matters above everything else. Do you remember those tests that maybe you took in elementary school or junior high that looked like this? Uh, Up at the top it says name, but number one says read everything. I know it's really, really small, but it said um, read everything carefully before doing anything. Put your name in the upper right-hand corner of the page, circle the word name in sentence two. Anybody ever take a test like that? Some of you remember. It's got all of this stuff. If you get down to number 19, it says, if you're the first person to reach this point, loudly call out, I am the first person to reach this point, and I'm the leader in following directions. 20 says, underline all even numbers on the left side of this paper. 21 says, loudly call out, I am nearly finished. I have followed instructions. Number 22 says, now that you have finished reading everything, do sentences one and two. Keep busy so that others will continue to read without disturbance from you. Don't make any sign to give a clue that, you've, that you have completed the task. I remember doing that, I think, in sixth grade, and, and um, I failed. I didn't follow instructions. On a, on a quiz like that, on a test like that, one thing matters. 
Read the instructions all the way through from beginning to end. Only one thing matters in all of the talk about religion, in all of the discussion of spirituality, and that question is, what is your take on Jesus? If you want to know who a false teacher is and who is teaching truth, find out what they say about Jesus and how much or how little Jesus is the center of their life. Understand this because, because in our American culture, particularly in our American church culture, we have given up the responsibility of that task to people like me. Most people listen to a speaker and say, oh, I trust them, so I'm going to listen to what they say. Understand this. We each have a responsibility to test the spirits. If you're serious about following Jesus, you have a responsibility to make sure what I speak from up front here is truth. You have the responsibility to make sure that the guy who you listen to on a podcast or the, or the, or the lady on TV or whoever it is that, you, that what they're speaking is truth. We each have that responsibility. Don't give that away to anyone and don't not take that seriously because we can know the difference between God's spirit and Satan's. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher, said this, discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it's the difference between right and almost right. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we we test the spirits? Let me, give you, let me give you three things. First thing comes from John in his second letter. It's a passage I read just a little bit ago. Second uh, John, beginning in verse 7. Deceivers have gone into the world, those who don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is a deceiver, the antichrist. Here's what he says in verse 8. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and doesn't abide in the teachings of Christ does not know does, does not have God. The, the first thing is that we've got to be vigilant in terms of our spiritual development. We've got to be vigilant about what we take in and comparing it with Scripture. Watch yourselves. In the book of Jude, the, the next to the last book in the Bible, uh, Jude says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says, hey, here's the deal. Watch what's going on around you and contend for the faith. Don't be afraid to jump into a conversation and to study the scriptures, to grab, to to dig into them and contend for the faith that was delivered once for all to the saints. Luke, in Acts 17, as he writes the biography of the church, says this in Acts 17. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Here's the deal. 
we have this responsibility. If we're serious about telling the difference between God and Satan in our teaching and in the things that we hear, we have the responsibility to dive into Scripture and to examine Scripture on a daily basis, to allow God's Word to jump into us. And, and when we hear things, to look to Scripture to determine whether or not they're true. It's important to have good teaching to grow spiritually. It's important to have that from mentors, from your life group, from podcasts and conferences and teachers and preachers. But it's critical to make sure that it is good teaching to grow spiritually, to make sure that it's consistent with all of God's Word. Do you want to be able to recognize false teachers? Don't look at their methodology or the man or their spiritual giftedness. Look at the content of the message. It's been really, really fun for me over the last couple of years as I've stepped into this role where I'm speaking on a pretty regular basis to listen to lots of other people. And as I've done um, work and, and listened to a lot of preachers on, uh, on the web, there are some guys that are frankly just plain boring. Um, you know, it's like, oh. But a couple of guys in particular, as I've listened to them, their content has been amazing. Rock solid stuff. They're just no flash. There's, you know, there, there's not any of that. Don't pay attention to the methodology and the style. Pay attention to the content and the way that they live. Know your Bible. Most of us believe what we believe because our parents taught it to us or a particular teacher that we really like taught it to us and we bought into all they've, that they've said. Instead, we've got to dive into Scripture and let Scripture define how we understand God, how we understand how to live. Do they confess that Jesus came in the flesh is the question. That word confess in the Greek actually means two things. It means to acknowledge. It means do they say it? Do they say, yeah, Jesus came in the flesh. He was a real life person. Um, he was fully God. Do they confess it, it to acknowledge it verbally? It also means, that word confess means, is their life impacted by, their, by that truth? Has that truth affected the way that they live? So when you listen to someone, when you listen to me or Chris or Buzz or, or Jake, whoever, the question is, what is it that they're saying? Are they acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of all and is their life in conformity with that? Um, there, there are two dangers, two dangers for us. One is to stand against everything. One, one is to listen and say, oh, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. Throw it, pick apart everybody that we listen to at the, at the finest level of detail. I don't think that's a healthy path. The other side of that is to just accept everything, to listen and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. And just accept everything. That's not what God calls us to do. It's, it's to test the Spirit's Last thing I want to share with you is this. Understand that for us, if you're serious about following Jesus, this is a challenging message because it's like, I've got significant responsibility in this process. It's not just to come to church and kind of get dumped on. It's not just to turn on Christian radio and say, oh, that's great. I've got to be actively involved in the process. Here's the good word to finish with. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world.
He who is in you, the Holy Spirit living inside you, is greater than the power of Satan. It's greater than the demonic realm. It's greater than all of that stuff. God's Spirit living in us is greater. If God is for us, who can be against us? In the movie Field of Dreams that I mentioned with, with, uh, about uh, baseball and all that stuff, Shoeless Joe Jackson says, none of the players liked Cobb. That's why he wasn't invited. In the 96 movie Cobb that starred Tommy Lee Jones, Al Stump, the writer of the, of the, um, of the biography in 61, was still alive. And Al Stump was a consultant for that film. And there was a place that they needed something. And Stump said, let's just make Cobb try and rape this woman in Las Vegas. Made it up out of nowhere. There was no substance to that incident at all. Our perceptions of Ty Cobb are made up largely based on what we've heard, what we've read, most of which stem back to Al Stump, a guy who was repeatedly fired for not telling the truth. Um, there's, there's a phrase that we know, that we've heard, that's, that is this, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. Um, that interestingly enough, that phrase, a lie told often enough becomes the truth, is often attributed to Vladimir Lenin, but it's not substantiated any place. I just find that ironic. Um, you know, that, that everybody says, oh, that's by Lenin, but nobody ever heard Lenin say that. William James, however, said something similar. William James wrote, there's nothing so absurd that if you repeat it often enough, people will believe it. Here's the challenge. I think there's a lot of stuff that we just accept because we keep hearing the same message over and over again from Christian teachers, from the Christian world, from all kinds of stuff. I, I'm, I, I don't want to point at those things because I think the challenge for all of us is to dive into Scripture to be able to discern what those kinds of things are. The challenge, do we believe everything that we hear about Jesus? Do we accept everything that a preacher or a religion or a denomination teaches? Or do we test the spirits? John lived at a time when teachers said what people wanted to hear and it tickled their ears. The result was that, as Scripture says, they were tossed around by every wind of doctrine. John recognized that threat and taught clearly, test the spirits. Ask if Jesus came in the flesh. Because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only advocate before the Father. Jesus is our only Savior. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. God, I thank you that John would write boldly to test the spirits, to discern right teaching from wrong. God, this, this message is hard for us because many of us are skeptical about everything and many of us just accept everything. 
But God, my, my heart's desire is that you would make us here at North Point a people of the book, a people that study Scripture. God, that allow your word to speak to us, that we don't just read for reading's sake, but that we read to know you, to understand your heart, and to be able to discern what's right and what's not. In the, in, in the people who speak all around us. Help us to do that, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.